to the Hunting Dog Puller Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Moreland, and this is the place where we talk everything hunting dog and working dog related. We're just here to promote the sport that we love, so y'all buckle up, because you're along for the ride. Today's word, Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Romans 12, 12. Hey guys, while you're listening, please go leave us a like and a review on your podcast provider. Also a quick shout out to the huntingdogapparel.com. You can also find us on Facebook, The Hunting Dog Public. I have a YouTube channel, Outdoors in Moreland. Just check us out. I also leave links for those that y'all don't know in the descriptions of the podcast. That's where you can go and check all this stuff out. Thank you very much for tuning in and for your support. We're trying to grow this podcast. Leave us emails, questions, whatever y'all have. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. All right, guys. Welcome to the Hunting Dog Public Podcast. Today, I'm joined by fellow podcaster, Mr. Chris Powell from the Houndsman XP. Mr. Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Mr. Chris, (laughs) for the few people... And the dog hunting community that don't know much about you, can you tell a little about yourself for us? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I've been uh, hunting tree dogs for about, well, it's, it's I hate to age myself <laughs> right off the bat here. Come on now. Peace. Talk about putting a guy on the spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I started when I was 13 years old. I'm 54 now so it's been 41 years you'd think i'd have a lot more to show for my for my work than where i'm at right now uh, in my in my tree dog career but uh, yeah southeast indiana and uh, grew up in the heart of coon hunting competition coon hunting got into squirrel dogs for a while uh, and i've i've just i've Joined the Marine Corps, took a little break then, and then I was an Indiana Conservation Officer for 28 years and and got to work in that capacity, talked to um, start, helped co-found the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, and we worked on all the things that were oppressive to the tree dog enthusiasts, squirrel (laughs) squirrel hunters and coon hunters and I just dealt with an issue here the last couple of days that seems like the message still isn't out there. So um, we started some programs with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, like the Don't Shoot My Dog campaign. Uh, had recovered some losses for for hound and tree dog owners in court and got some jail time for some outlaws that thought it was okay to use our dogs for target practice and successful prosecutions there and uh go ahead you jump in whenever i I was gonna say you know that i still see that on facebook and it just irritates me to death if i find a dog on my property i'm gonna shoot it and and you know that there is a few bad apples that turn loose on people's property but for the most part it's accidental and people just have no regard for animals or property or anything else. That's the thing, Cody. It's one of those deals. It's uh, nobody would ever think about shooting a horse that's standing in their yard. You know, even if it's eating the flowers, they're not going to walk out. Most people aren't going to think of that. Oh, it's okay to shoot this horse, you know, but when it comes to our tree dogs and they think there's a lot of people out there that still think that it's okay to take matters in their own hands. And even law enforcement doesn't fully understand that, but every state has laws against 
protecting people's personal property and livestock. And if it wanders off your property, it's not open season on it. And uh, I just fielded a call this past week from a guy in Minnesota, and uh, he's got one of the best pups I ever raised up there. And he's not a pup anymore. He's five years old. He had the dog shot on Wednesday night, I think. And uh, uh, so I, I worked on that issue with him for a while and, and tried to get him pointed in the right direction and, and things like that. But one thing people can do right now, and I don't care if you're a squirrel dog guy or a bird dog guy or, you know, a coon dog guy, big hog hunter, you need to listen to a three-part series we did on the Houndsman XP podcast called Don't Shoot My Dog. Yes, we sir. talked to we talked to a state police detective. I mean, that's this guy investigates crimes for a living. He's also a coon hunter. He walks you right through everything you need to know. When when you hear the gunshot go off, what you need to click your brain into and start thinking about uh, putting the emotions aside. There's certain things that you need to do. And then we talked to uh, a, a a guy that was the assistant attorney general of the state of indiana he was a former prosecutor before that now he's a court judge so this guy kind of knows what he's talking about when you talk about you know yeah. how your case is going to progress through court i didn't just find you know some ambulance chasing attorney to talk to yeah <laughs> I, I, tried to I actually posted the steps back when I listened to it, when y'all first put it out, I posted the yeah. steps, but I need to get that back up. And that's very good. Uh, I wish I knew, I'll, I guess I'll go back and I can try to tag y'all's in the biography on this, uh, on this post. I'll go ahead and tag y'all's link to y'all's that way we can yeah. get yeah. the, get the people on the right page because it's very helpful information. Yeah. And then the third part of that series is, uh, it was a guy that actually that we worked with, through the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, he had a hound shot and he talks about all the emotions he went through, all the things he had to do, the whole story. So, you know, I, I don't mind guys calling me and saying, hey, Chris, I had a dog shot. What do I need to do? My first question is always going to be, if you listen to the three episodes we did on the Houndsman XP podcast, yep. if you haven't, go listen to those and it'll give you a lot of the answers to questions that you have. Oh, it's, it's a, uh... It's very informative. I mean, it's yeah. laid out for you right there. And and I kind of skipped ahead on you because in the interim, after I retired, Cody, then then I started the Houndsman XP podcast. Well, so yeah, I was wanting to talk about that too. <laughs> Y'all have a, a huge following, and, and I know it's a lot of hard work to get there. But before we talk about that, I'd like to talk a little bit about these. I, now, I know you coon hunted a good bit. Did you competition coon hunt or did you just pleasure coon hunt when you first started out? Well, I think um, we all start out, I think, thinking we're going to be Billy off of where the red fern grows. Oh, for sure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and then the bug bites you and, and you want to get involved in, in the competition scene. I entered my first coon hunt in 1985. I didn't even have a driver's license yet. I was begging, borrowing, and hitching, thumb hitching rides yeah. to, to coon hunts. Uh, and uh, started back in those days. You know, back, it's it's changed a lot since then, for sure. Yes, sir. And I'm really curious, since we're big competition squirrel hunting guys, I'd like to dive off into your, I, I heard on your podcast also, and it's the Houndsman XP for the people that might be living under a rock. You've mentioned several times that you have competition squirrel hunted. Can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, how'd you, you get started that. in that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, that was a, a detour I took. It's still near and dear to me. How, how'd you get started in that? You know, I'd taken a break from coon hounds. Um, and as my kids were getting older, I probably took about a three-year break in there. But you know how it is. I mean, if you got the bug for listening to a dog treat and being a dog man, 
you can't if 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 you've really got the bug, you can't stay out of it. Yep. So as my kids, my oldest daughter was uh, getting a bit older, I thought, well, we'll just try to get back into this thing. And I justified it as I'm going to get a squirrel dog. <laughs> and, and I always had, uh, I'd never owned an original mountain curve and I'd hunt them with some. They always intrigued me. And so I found an original mountain curve and got back into it and just like everything else i don't do anything halfway before too long i was i was eyeball deep in it and uh, cruising the old squirrel dog central website message board and and everything and and before you know it i mean we we travel all over the country albany georgia mississippi um you know michigan all over Elnora was was going big at the time. The National Current Vice Breeder Association, which was right here in Elnora, Indiana, which was just a few hours away, and uh, found myself smack dab in the middle of that that whole culture. So, did that for several years. Now, what line of dogs did you get off into? Um, a lot of you know some of the older blood. I had a a male dog that um, was Roaring River bred. Little Ray Smith had the dam and and um, is a little dog named What's Up Doc and got into that. But I also had some some hardwood um, streak and Georgetta blood. And that was my sassy female. That goes back. She was a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. That goes to... Uh... God, I had his name on the tip of my tongue. Alan Franklin. Well, yeah. Actually, Alan Franklin was a beneficiary of the Streaks JR and the Hardwood Georgetta Cross. Yeah, okay. You know, Danny Wilkinson owned uh, JR, or no. Yeah, I think that's right. Danny will correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, they made that cross on Georgetta, and it was probably the most prolific prominent dominating cross ever i don't i i don't can't say that for sure since then but but if you look back at the pups that came out of that cross and the dogs that made grand squirrel champions and the pups that have come from that i can't think of anyone that has been more prolific in the history of the original mountain curve yeah that there's a bunch of big names that came from that cross for sure. Yep. Yep. Alan Franklin's sport dog and his thunder dog. And, and then you look at uh, the mentors down in Mississippi, their uh, Jordan Creek, Jordan Creek tag, I think was that was out of that. Um, it was just a hot, hot, high um, value reproduction. You know, it's just a great cross. Yeah. Now, did you enjoy the squirrel competitions more than the coon competitions, or it was just you could do it during the day and you wouldn't go on all night? Um, I, at the time, I enjoyed it a lot. You know, I I, I like being, I like competing with during the day. Like you said, you weren't out all night, but then I started coon hunting every squirrel dog I had, and everybody was like, "Oh, you can't squirrel hunt coon dog, <laughs> or you can't, you know, you can't coon hunt your squirrel dogs." And I'm always the type, it's like, I'm sure I can't, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to, to, to coon hunt. I really enjoyed coon hunting. I always had. And, um, you know, I watched like Stacy Osborne's a good friend of mine. He had the, the Osborne's camera dog came from, um, uh, who, what was his name? Smith. It wasn't, uh, Carl Smith. No, it wasn't Carl. It was the other, it was another Smith there in tennessee but uh anyway jackhammer was a coon dog and a squirrel dog and i knew it could be done you know so and jack jack stacy carried jack all over the country one with him all over the place and um and it was just a jack was a good dog and and he proved that you could do it and i i tried to follow suit and my doc dog was just 
Now, Sat Doc was an outstanding squirrel and coon dog. Sassy, once she started coon hunting, I started coon hunting her heavy. I put her in PKC hunts and, and led the breed with her for a while. And um, uh, was and she just preferred, she would go out and tree squirrels, but she preferred to coon hunt. Yeah. Just something about it. They, I, I don't know if they smell stronger or what, but I've I've heard a lot of people say once certain dolls go over to the coon, they just ain't crazy about going back to the squirrel. Yeah, she would just, she would go out and, and tree a, a bunch of squirrels and do it in style. I was always really particular about the way the dog sounded. And, but, but it was like she was just going through the motion. You turn her loose, you could squirrel hunt her during the day and have a, a whole hum hunt. And then when it got dark, turn her loose on coons and, and she, she'd put on a show. Was she open on track? Yeah, she was a really good strike dog, actually. She oh, really? was an honest strike dog, but she was a really good strike dog. Yeah, it was always fun. It was always fun to to carry those curves to a PKC hunt and then uh, turn them loose. And they're not babbling off the leash. They get in there and they get sunk in there and they strike the they, you get that first strike, they're like, What was that? <laughs> <laughs> you know my, like, that was a cur dog, buddy. Uh, my buddy Jeremy Garner. He he said that he said it until it was blue in the face. The actual breed standard used to say preferred to open on ground, you know, and everybody nowadays is just want them completely silent. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a personal preference type thing, and and our um, our breed standards are written by people, and they follow trends. Yeah. Now I was curious back then. Was it a deep and lonely everybody, or was it more of a calling contest when you get into the squirrel dogs? You know, it was a deal where uh, the guys that were at the top of the game knew that they wanted dogs that were independent. And so I didn't necessarily want my dog in there backing another dog. I wanted, there's enough squirrels in the woods around here that they really didn't need for them to be a me too dog. Yeah. Now, I I know that coon hunting went through a change from a a, a calling contest to a a deep and lonely, and I didn't know if that that was like that before you transferred over, or if it already had went on the coon hunting side also. Well, I mean, it, I think it, I think squirrel competition squirrel hunting follows the trends of competition coon hunting. Yes, sir. and. Competition coon hunting follows the trends of other things. You know, none of us are reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's all been it's all been out there. Um, one of the things that I I saw was the early days of competition squirrel hunting. The thing that was hard for me to adjust to, it's like okay, you you get a dog that's treed in there, and when you're coon hunting. That dog needs to be under the tree. Needs to be showing tree. Yes. You know, if he puts his nose on the ground, he's minus. Well, competition coon, squirrel hunters were a little more lax, you know, and they started talking about twenty-two steps from the tree to any place of refuge. Yeah. And what that turned into was a dog milling around at the tree and then being safe from taking a minus. <laughs> oh yeah. And then peak. PKC kind of kind of fixed that up, and it's like, if your dog is not showing tree, that means putting its nose on the ground, then it's minus. And and so things really started to tighten up after that. Well, I understand it's a game, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I like the coon hunting aspect where the dog has to have the coon. And we're calling these squirrel dogs, you know, the best competition dogs in the world, if you will. Or, the, I, I mean, I'd assume, you know, the dog that wins the world hunt and whatever registry that day was the best dog in that registry. But I'm seeing a lot of dogs that, you know, might hit 10% of the time that if they'll stay treed, they win the competition. And I don't know. I understand they're squirrels and they're hard to find. And I understand they can timber out. But at some point, 
I want to start seeing squirrels. Yeah, I mean, the the name of the game is to tree squirrels. And this is where a crossover from competition coon hunting may not be the best thing in the world, you know, the way I was actually looking at it. You know, when I'm, it's, all these competition hunts were to mimic actual hunting conditions. And yet we've put all these rules in it where it's almost impossible to mimic an actual hunting condition. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you start saying the dog's got to be belly up on the tree. He's got to be showing trees. He's got to be doing this. He's got to be doing that. And at some point I'm as, I'm as critical as any dog, any, any dog man out there of what a dog does. But at the end of the day, the people that traditionally had squirrel dogs had them to put meat on the table and then to have a good time recreating. Oh yeah. So at some point, at some point, where do you, where do you draw the line between what's traditional and it's, it gets convoluted and the waters get muddy. I agree. And like I said, at least the coon, I understand it. They don't have as many places to hide. They're either in there or there's a big den tree. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I've seen people circle up little old bushes with nothing nowhere near it. And I'm this. You're talking about in the squirrel hunt? In the squirrel hunt. Hunting? The squirrel hunts. <laughs> no, no, no. I've seen the, the coon hunts, they'll minus you. But, yep. But yep. I don't know. I don't know the right scenario. And I understand that them things, because I have seen them, they timber out pretty quick. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, they can. But. You know, a good a good tree dog, in my opinion, has the ability to to a lot of times to to hold a squirrel where it's at, especially in the north here where we've got a lot of fox squirrels. Man, down south, it's anybody's game. Those those gray squirrels you all have down there are wild and crazy. Oh, for sure. I was talking. I talked about that with Adam O'Donnell. Man, that, he said that them up there would hold pretty tight, but when you get down here. You know, I'm so used to them. I mean, if your dog's within the two minutes on a heavily hunted property, they're going, when they hear that dog bark, the rest of them even go in the holes. I mean, it's <laughs> it's plumb insane. If you, and, and then, you know, people's not taking you to their, their honey hole. You're going to hunt, public hunting land that gets beat to death. And uh, as soon as they hear them dogs open up, they headed to holes. So... I got a funny story about hunting gray squirrels in down in Georgia. Is it the it's one where uh, the pleasure dog y- y'all went out and then the pleasure dog? Yeah, yeah buddy. Yeah, I want to hear. Scoop, scoop, scoop was a was a tree advice. Okay, let me set the story. So we were down there hunting with Ronnie Roland. We were down there for the uh, uh southern heritage classic or the southern heritage squirrel hunt it was a uk sanctioned hunt me and a buddy of mine load up and we're like we're going to southern heritage it wasn't the first time being there we've been there before we're packing two grand squirrel champions you know and, and uh, ronnie couldn't hunt that day he's he's like i got a guy that's gonna take you out hunting we pull onto this property with this guy and you remember big jim from Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. This is Big Jim's plantation. We're driving between these high fence operations back in, you know, through the plantation back in towards the swamp, down towards the oaks and stuff. There's kudus running up to the fence. He's got he's got gazelle. He's got zebras running around. He's got a pen with giraffes in it, standing there looking at us. And our dogs are just, they don't know what to do. They you on know, a safari. They're on safari in, <laughs> in Georgia. So we keep driving down through there. We get back to the back, and it's probably about uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We turn our big high-powered grand squirrel champions loose, and we go in there, and we beat and bang around and peck around for probably three hours, three or four hours, and we scratch down maybe four or five squirrels yep. in that whole time. This guy had two dogs in his or no, he had one dog, a little feisty called Scoop. And he wasn't any bigger than a drink of water. I mean, he was just a little bitty thing. And he's like, do you mind if I turn Scoop loose here for the last few minutes? I think it was all a setup. I really do. <laughs> Looking back at it, it was a complete setup. And 
we're like, well, yeah, we don't know why you didn't turn him loose before. Because I didn't want to interfere with your hunt. He turned Scoop loose, and that little dog treed 15 squirrels in the last 40 minutes of daylight. <laughs> then things get loose right there before dark. You can drill. <laughs> we came packing out of there, looking at our grand squ- We had our dogs in the box. We walked back up to the truck, and we tried to trade trade Scoop for two, two grand squirrel champion fur dogs. Oh, that's funny. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I've said it a million times. As soon as I talk good about my dog, he humbles me. They're all dogs. Oh yeah. You know, you you come out of there with something on your leash, and you you think that you got something, and some nobody shows up with something that, well, just for whatever reason, it's their day, and they'll make you look foolish. You bet. You bet. Every time. Now that being said. How many of them 15 was treed right there back to back? Oh, it was like popcorn. So I've seen it like that before. But Yeah. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, well, my dog probably realistically is not going to start hunting for 100 yards because he's so used to me letting them timber out and staying in a hole. And he's like, all right, we're done in this area. Let's move on to the next. You know? Yeah. Little Scoot was probably treeing them this every 30 yards. Oh man, he was he was lighting it up. Wow. It was nonstop action for the last forty minutes of daylight. It was it was fun. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. We have a uh we go to a guy I know, my buddy, he has a camp down there in South Mississippi. But he had a hunt last year that we went and we killed two hundred and eighty one in two days. And it was a mm. lot of fun. Now, we rotated That's... a bunch of dogs. We rotated, I think, nine dogs. We had like 17 people. But we were absolutely hammering them. And it That's was... melting your shotgun down. Oh, I, yeah. I can't even afford the ammo for that. <laughs> well, we went in a couple of different... <laughs> we we would split up. Seven or eight people go with this dog, and they'd take two or three dogs. And seven or eight people go in this direction, and we'd take two or three sure. dogs. And we, like I said, we'd hunt them an hour, hour and a half, put them in a box and pull something fresh out. And it was a perfect scenario. It was, uh, it was going to be about rut time. So, you know, it, they were all on the outside. It was pretty weather. It was an absolute perfect scenario, but we absolutely hammered them. And I, I'll be honest, it spoils you. Yeah. Yeah. Once you go and do something like that and you come back up here. And there ain't that many squirrels up here. It's either that or I ain't got enough dog. And I can't. <laughs> it might be the latter. But, no, oh, it was it was a lot of fun. And, when, and then we gave them to a, some game wardens was having a, or, or a biologist or whatever you want to call it. They had like a, a cooking where they was feeding a community, like a, uh-huh. a feast. They had a few deer donated and the squirrels and rabbits. And they fed the community on it. So. It wasn't like we was tossing them in a ditch. It was a... That's right. You know, we we had a good time within the legal limit. And and you get on a good squirrel hunt, it's hard to beat. You bet. So... It's just a great time. I mean, I've I've got pictures of my kids when... I mean, they were barely big enough to follow me. You know, you can't do anything with them at night. Yeah. And and you can, but, I mean, they're not going to... I could I could walk into some of into some of these woods up here that were ten acre woods and I mean I remember the days it's like okay the dog street in there you as t- my two oldest daughters begin with it's like you hear the dog yep I hear the dog I'm gonna walk straight to the dog you walk straight to where you hear the dog yeah you know because I'm getting there they're coming and here they come walking through this woods they think they're they think they're in the wilderness. <laughs> and they come walking up through there holding the hands looking around making sure they find me and once they did it one time after that it was all you know you, you got oh, yeah. they you felt grown beat them to the tree they felt grown yep yep you know you know mine yeah. love it too they love pulling vines and beating on trees and they want to know you know they still ask even though i say yes every time they're like can we pick that stick up and hit the tree i said baby i don't care if you hit every tree out here that's right. Wear them out. Pull the vines. I looked at one time. I was swinging across there like Tarzan. 
which <laughs> <laughs> I mean that made squirrels move, so I was tickled to death with it. Y'all have fun. With, I, y'all having fun. I'm having fun. We all having fun. But I, I've always said this: D- taking dogs out with tree dogs like that is the best introduction to hunting that you can possibly do with a kid. You're not asking them to sit quietly in a blind, not to move, not to do all this other stuff that we do when we're turkey hunting, deer hunting, duck hunting, all these other things that, you know, you got to be quiet, you got to be still. And so many times when you, I see so much of this, people will take their kids out to deer hunt on a food plot that they main, that the dad was maintaining. He decided where the blind was going. He set it all up. All the kids got to do is get behind the gun and pull the trigger. Yep. And until it's time for him to get behind the gun and pull the trigger, dad just lets him sit over in the corner of the blind and mess on an iPad or, you know, or on his phone and watch, watch videos through your buds. And then he, he reaches over and he taps and he's like, Hey, there's a deer coming. It's time for you to shoot. Yep. Squirrel hunting and tree dog stuff. Isn't like that. The kid, it's no big deal. If a kid wants to swing on a vine, they swing on a vine and they can, it's like, Oh, there's a frog. There's a crawl dad. What's this dad? What, what about this? I mean, it's totally interactive. And, and you know, and, they probably makes them a better shot too, because you're not, you can't help them shoot a squirrel out of a tree. You you yeah, can't line yeah. it up for them and, and it being a vice and then say, all right, just pull the That's trigger. Right. That's right. Now I still, I don't know. I, you probably not listen, but I've, I've said it multiple times. I run deer dogs still. We ha- it's legal in Mississippi. I'm in a mm-hmm. camp. I'm in a hunting camp that we have a bunch of deer dogs and my son loves it. I, he yeah. he said, Daddy, you going to wake me up in the morning? And I say, you want me to? He said, yeah, because there's a bunch of kids in our hunting group. So that's right. W- when we huddle up for all the guys is bullcrapping and shooting the crap, and next thing you know, all the kids is out there playing tag. They're playing football. I mean, they're out there in the woods. And then yep. we'll, we'll go and make a drive. And my boy gets in my truck. Now, it gets a little bit aggravating because as soon as the dogs is headed right at me, he'll be beating on that window. Daddy, the dogs is coming. I'm like, son, I can hear them. I'm standing outside the truck with a gun, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they turn. But it's, you know, learning. It's learning, and he's getting to enjoy the outdoors. And at the end of the day, if I don't kill a deer, then – you know, it is what it is. Now, in Mississippi, we can kill five does and three bucks legally. Yeah. And we we wore them out. I think he was with me f- for four does I killed. And he, boy, he took a picture with them big old floppy ears up there. He was tickled to death. He thought we done killed some trophies. Let's get a picture with that deer. So You bet. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. And they he loves it too. Now, his sister used to love it, but since he started going, she gets to spend time at home with mommy by herself. So, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got a I've got a middle daughter that that was just in my hip pocket. Man, if she could manipulate me, I'd be pulling out of here to go coon hunting. And in the winter time, it gets dark early enough, you know. But I'd be thinking, I'm gonna go out and hammer this young dog. I'm really gonna put some hot. And you know, you don't want the kids slowing you down. So I yeah. tell her, be like, God, I, you probably ought to stay home tonight. Yeah. I'd get distracted. I'd I'd go walk in the barn or whatever, and I'd come out, and she'd be sitting in the front seat of the truck, have her little light on and stuff, and she'd be sitting there. I said, I thought I told you you weren't going. She goes, Yeah, I know, but you probably really need me out there. And how are you going to say no to that? <laughs> oh, for you know? sure. And then she goes along, but yeah, bear hunting's the same way. You know, the group I hunt with over, we've got a bunch of kids in the group, and. They're hanging off the gates. We're sitting there looking at our garments and discussing strategy, and they've already got a, they've already got a game of skipping rocks or something in the creek going. So. so, so could you walk us through like how y'all go about hunting bear? It's a, it's a lot like the way you hunt deer. It really is. So, I mean, so do y'all up, just free cast or do y'all look for tracks? All of it. Yeah. If we get it, we may get a rig strike. We may walk through, uh, you know, walk through a ridge of coral thicket, whatever, down a mountain and and uh, try to get a bear up and rolling. Got dogs that will little hunt out and, and free cast and and get a dog up, uh, get a bear up and rolling. And then a lot like 
you know, the, the deer hunting in the South, you've got your, you got your players down on the road that uh, are tracking your dogs and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, there's a lot of similarities. So, so is y'all's bear population pretty, pretty high? Uh, I'm in Southeast Indiana and we, our, our bear population is really bad. Okay. It's so it's existing. So, so, so but over, you have to travel Virginia, to do it then. Yeah. Yeah. I can be embarrassed in about six hours. Oh, wow. So do y'all have a camp or are you hunting public over? It's all, it, it's mostly public, but we've got, we've got, uh, you know, some guys that own, own camps and stuff. And, but, um, uh, like Keith Hyatt, one of the other hosts on Houndsman XP, a lot of times I'll either stay at his house or I'll rent a, um, an, like an Airbnb over there and just stay there. That's pretty neat. I didn't realize that y'all hunted bear. Like, I mean, I understand that, I guess, that they run dog bear with dogs. I'm not as familiar with mm-hmm. the actual bear running, but I didn't realize that, you know, they, I just assumed there was two or three people turning loose and they go in there. I didn't think that y'all had a whole group of folks down there shooting them when they come I figured most of the time y'all go to them at a tree. Do y'all shoot them across roads and fields? Or? No, if, if, if it... If a bear crosses the road most of the time, unless it's just hurting dogs and it it's it's wrecking dogs, then you just let it cross. And you, you either depending on where you're at, you know, there's some places in the United States where you can't pack, you can't pack dogs on on bear. Uh-huh. But um if if the if the dogs that are doing the job when the bear crosses, then you know, you don't pack it. Now they run a pretty good piece, don't they? Holy smoke, man! A bear can run. They make a deer look like they're slow sometimes. I think. Really? Yeah, I've ran. I've ran deer dogs and stuff. Talking twenty miles. I've seen races twenty miles long. You know, the last twelve hours before a bear ever comes out and crosses the road, just taking them into some wild and crazy places. I'd have figured that they try to get up a tree pretty quick. Well, in the west they do. You know, you get out wet. Get out west. Uh, it's a little more open and and guys out west will argue with me about this but i've hunted both places bear bear and the thick stuff will keep moving you got to have a dog that puts a lot of pressure on a bear yeah because they can stay far enough out in front of them well it's thick so a bear can a bear if he's starting to get wore down a little bit he can back up in a laurel thicket or up against stone and there's only one way in for the dogs to come and and then he'll he'll stay there and he'll rest and he'll he'll bust out of there. Whereas out west, the ground's a little more open, and and dogs with with any kind of speed at all can put pressure on a bear from a lot of different ways, different sides. And he's looking for some place to get away from that, so he climbs. It's not easy wow. either place. You know, it's a trade off because when you when you're talking about like the North Salmon River country, you're talking about huge tracks of land that are steep and deep and you know you do a, a five mile in and a five mile out that day and, and you've done something wow that's that's very intriguing i just I, I didn't have a clue i thought that you know as soon as y'all got on them they'd probably get up a tree within a few hundred yards nope nope bear bear can run like a deer and uh yeah they they can move Get on those ninety pounders, and we you know we call them we call them little Honda nineties because they can flat <laughs> keep carrying the mail. And and y'all have groups of folks doing this, or is there normally just a couple of people? It depends. You know, if you hunt out west, it's a little bit different. It's usually just you and by yourself, or you and another guy. Whereas the eastern Appalachia style hunting has got usually has hunting groups that are real similar to hunting groups of the southern deer hunters yeah and you know you hunt together as a team you do everything together as a team if if even if you don't get a dog in on the race and somebody somebody gets a, a bear treed nine times out of ten everybody in your party is going to show up at the tree either to help get dogs out or if somebody takes a bear to get the bear out um, you know it's just it's more of a team sport in the east yeah huh yeah oh yeah we uh We'll be dragging deer out we ain't even shot at, you know, and, right. and down there leashing dogs. And then, 
yep. especially if it's a decent buck. I mean, it could be a, probably a four point or six point in people's stand. They'll come all the way over and look at it <laughs> just so you should get you know to see it. it, you know. But that's that's very intriguing. I didn't, and I assume that that's probably one of the bigger drilling rushes you got because you seem to be doing that now instead of. Yeah, I haven't entered a competition hunt since, um, man, I can't remember when. It's been it's been probably four or five years. Wow. So that yep. so, so the bear hunting's where it's at right now. I just like traveling around with you know with the podcast and everything. I travel around and and hunt a lot of different places and hunt a lot of different stuff from hogs to. So I've got a bunch of, I've got a bunch of dogs that are about half assed in everything they do. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're okay bear dogs or okay hog dogs, but none of them are good at anything, and that bugs me. But at this stage of my life, I'm I'm. Yeah, I I just enjoy traveling around and and seeing other people's really good dog work and and things like that and just just experiencing a lot of different stuff. Well, that's uh that seems pretty cool. Now, I guess let's transition over into the podcast. About how long ago <clears throat> did you start? I've been listening for a couple of years. Yeah, we uh we just hit four years. Um, First of May would have been four years we started the podcast. Wow. Houndsman XP's been up and running. That's, I tell you what, that's a lot of work. A lot of people don't realize how, because you listen and you edit and then you're lining up future and it's a, it's a chore. So four years strong, that's, that's pretty incredible there. I just loaded up our uh, episode 348. Is how many we've done. Well, um, we got had 1.6 million downloads in that amount of time. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's turned into its own thing with with everything from merchandise to we just dropped a, a dog box that we designed for. I saw uh, that. Is, it's short yeah, too. Yeah, competition extreme is what we call that. So we've got that production going. Uh, but the core of the, the business is podcast and, and talking to people and telling the story of the real hunters that are out there getting it done. That's what it was all about. It was all about starting that. And it, the reason it was all started was because deer hunters had podcasts, fishermen had podcasts, elk hunters had podcasts, but nobody was talking about guys that were running hounds and tree dogs. And I wanted to get a voice out there for us and for the things that we like to do because we were losing the narrative to the anti-hunting crowd and even the hunting crowd, even the hunting crowd was, was stacked against us and talking about how we interfered. And so <clears throat> what that turned into was starting the Houseman XP podcast where we could tell our own story in a way that was factual. You know, a, a guy that, that owns a deer lease and managing for whitetail deer that tries to do a podcast every once in a while to include some coon hunters or some bear hunters, or, they don't know. They, they're yeah. not talking in our best interest or they're talking to be diversified in their show content. For sure. And um, so I dedicated the whole podcast two houndsmen, hound hunters, cur dog guys, you know, at, you mentioned Adam O'Donnell, he's been on my show. Um, but it was really to, to, to give us a voice to make sure that we were part of the conversation about wildlife management, about hunting in general. You know, it's not something weird. It's not something that just a bunch of dumb rednecks do. If you look at what's happening in wildlife management across the, the world, houndsmen play a big part in that. You know, if you if you talk about um, mountain lion studies in the Rocky Mountains, when you go out and you find a mountain lion kill, those biologists that are with you on that study will go in there and collect the bones of that deer, and then they can judge the health of the herds. They can judge 
the mortality rates of the deer, the overall health of the deer. So they take that information back and they put it to work for deer hunters. So it's not just about how many lions are out there on the landscape and, and how much damage they're doing. It's actually providing valuable data to elk hunters, deer hunters, sheep hunters, all those, all those different, or uh, that's how it all works together. Yeah. So if you allow the houndsman, so say I'm an, I'm an elk hunter. I'm an elk hunter in Colorado, and those daggone houndsmen, they always screw up my hunt. And I'm just going to vote to outlaw. When that happens, for one thing, you're going to immediately lose all of that valuable wildlife management data that biologists depend on, on houndsmen and, and lion hunters to provide to them. That's the first thing you're going to lose. Okay. The next thing is once the anti-hunters eliminate hound hunting in the United States, they're coming after your elk hunt or your deer hunt. Oh, for sure. Or your sheep hunt. They're not going to stop. Yep. And then when they go after the gun hunting, next will be bow hunting. Yeah. And yeah. They, they, they attack methods. They don't, they don't come straight out and say, Hey, we want to, we want to outlaw deer hunting. We want to attack the methods just like with, with our dogs. They aren't coming directly at and saying, they'll say that squirrel hunting with dogs is cruel, that it's unethical, that it gives you an unfair advantage, but they can't come straight at it. They've got to say, let's pass this tethering bill about how you house your dogs. Can your dog stay outside when it's above 80 degrees? Can your dog stay outside below 30 degrees? How many hours can it be out there? You know, all this other stuff that, that is chipping away at our freedoms and that that a lot of dog men simply just do not pay attention to and they would rather hear a podcast with me talking about you know hunting on big jim's safari land down there yeah then learning that there's effective ways to combat these people and save what you love to do yes sir we uh we done a episode with the mississippi dog hunters association and uh-huh. we advocate for anybody that's got that in their state because that's about the only people in legislature later legislature i don't know why i'm having a problem saying that word today but uh they're, they're fighting for our rights up there and you know in the government so yeah yeah every state needs a strong organization and every state organization needs to support a national organization you know mississippi you guys have got the delta down there which is a, a federal property and um right now federal the feds are in full court press to to make sh to suppress all sorts of access and hunting and and everything all the anti-groups like the center for biological diversity humane side of the united states all of them are pushing agendas that will limit you from being able to hunt on those properties. Yeah. I think the houndsmen are just the lowest hanging fruit, like you said. So, I mean, if they can get all the non dog hunters to be like, yeah, we don't need them. Let's get rid of them. That just yep. weakens the whole force. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's there's, there's no capitulation. There's no trade off in this game there the, the anti-hunting crowds in game is total elimination of hunting and if they can pick us off one at a time they'll pick us off one at a time for sure now when you started yeah. your podcast you thought you'd do it for a little bit or you and are you at where you thought you'd be well it's kind of like uh, i'm not i'm not done if that's what you mean. Well, I get that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is I dare to say y'all have the biggest dog hunting podcast out there. So if, if when you first started, did you think you'd have a, over a million downloads? Did you, you know, would you think, and I'll do this for a little bit. And if I like it, I'll keep doing it. If I don't, or, or it was full, full, full speed ahead the whole time. I've kind of been full speed ahead the whole time. You know, it's been one of those deals. I know that. It's something that that needs to be done. You know, if 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 we don't keep 
if we don't stay on message, we don't keep carrying the message out there. Who's going to carry it for us? You know, who's going to who's going to fill that gap? And and I don't say that in an arrogant way. You know, when we first started, we were the only game in town, and you started seeing other podcasts pop up. And at first, I'm not going to lie to you, Cody. It was like, oh great, here's another podcast. You know, I, I wanted all the downloads for me. Yep. And I had to step back. I had to step back from that. And I had to think, what did I start this for? I started this so the conversation could start happening to make hunting with dogs mainstream, a normal part of the conversation about hunting with dogs, you know, or about hunting. And, and so I had to stay, take a step back. And so when I see other podcasts pop up as long as they're they're not shooting holes in our boat you know by <laughs> yeah. you know do, doing it the right way and your show does and there's several out there that do we got to celebrate that we got to say man i only got these guys for an hour a week or two hours a week we we drop three shows a week so about three hours that leaves a lot of hours where our community our our tree dog community or our hound community still needs to hear the message coming from a lot of different angles. I can't, I can't fill up the airwaves every day, all day long. And I'm not Rush Limbaugh. Oh yeah. And you know, that's the thing is, is I listen to podcasts all day. I work by myself and I know a lot of people that's like, dude, we need more content. So if they were, as soon as I get done with yours, I'm moving on to the next one with this. It was Coon Hunting University. They kind of, I don't know what they got going, but I enjoy their podcast. Uh, Tree time, tree Talking Time with Ben Sheets. I enjoy, mm-hmm. I I enjoy listening to podcasts. That's what I do. And That's right. And we just really don't have enough. I, I have to start venturing out into other genres, maybe comedy podcast or whatever, but that is the way of the world is a podcast nowadays. Yeah. 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 There's a big opportunity here. And that's, that's what I saw, you know, when I, when I looked at the podcast community and realized how far they could reach and how much influence they could have, then, you know, with, with my lifelong work as a conservation officer, my involvement in the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, my passion for the tree dog sports, it's like, it was like, this is a no brainer. We need, we need to do this. And we need to start developing the message. I call it helping people develop their own narrative. Yeah. You know, if you, if you, if one thing that we do commonly on the Houndsman XP podcast is we'll ask people, why do you do this? Why? What's, what's your, Heath Hyatt just dropped a show a couple weeks ago. What is your why? Why do you do this? It's not because it's easy. It's a lot of work to, to hunt to have dogs, to care for them properly. It's a big financial commitment. It's a personal time commitment, you know, and to make a dog, you got to lay in the woods with them and you got to, you got to put in all that time, a lot of frustration. So it's, we want to help people when somebody comes up to them and they say, you know, hunting with dogs isn't fair chase. Why do you do it? I want them to be able to talk about the value of wildlife management that they provide. I want to be able to talk about the the financial revenues that organ that events like Autumn Oaks brings to the little town of Richmond. It's about twelve million dollars a year over a, a week long period. Yeah, that's you know, all those things that that are going to help them secure their future to continue to do this stuff. You know, I've done a podcast with Sky Scott, which is a big foxhound guy, mm-hmm. and they're nationals are over here in Grenada, Mississippi. And yeah. he said they done a study of how many people, man, there's people from Canada, uh, Florida, like all over the United States. And he said that they done a study and the amount of revenue that it brought them that week was insane for a little well, if, town. That's right, man. And and all these little towns are looking for something to, to put money in the coffers and, what that turns into is go to Grenada and say, okay, we're going to cancel the fox hunt. Now you've got store owners that aren't fox hunters. You've got 
the the restaurant owners that aren't fox hunters you got the hotel owners that aren't fox hunters that are all like no you're not you are not shutting us down <laughs> yeah and they get the they get the representative on the phone their elected officials and say don't let them shut this down because if our money dries up your money dries up so boom now you got you got people fighting for you that have just got a financial interest in it yo well i agree with that 100 percent, and maybe that that might be the play is to talk to some of these people and be like you know even though you're not for it it does support your business you know it'd be nice if if they had a vote if a state threw out a vote on dog hunting could you please vote you know to obviously vote no against or or vote whatever the opposite is of of banishing right. the dog hunting yeah so i mean it does it affects everybody it affects the community it, it affects i mean it's that's what I do. I, I, it's my hobby. I enjoy it, and uh, be like, I guess taking college football off of TV. Well, I want to watch college football. Well, I wanted to, to go work my dog. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I think people don't even know how much money is in it, or they they don't realize how much money is in it. Hunters contribute two point five million dollars per day in the United States just for wildlife management. That's just for wildlife management. That's the money that that the federal government dumps back into states for wildlife management in your state. It's spread out, but it doesn't take very long to get in to transition from from millions to billions annually. So when you look at the grand scheme of things, it's in it's it's in the best interest if that store owner likes to drive through the country and see songbirds, if they have a bird feeder in the yard and and they like to see cardinals on their bird feeder, hunters are paying for that. If they like to drive down the road and see turkeys and they never wanted to hunt a day in their life, but they, they get excited to see a turkey, hunters pay for that. They pay for the parks, they pay for the refuges that they, they may not be consumers of, but $2.5 million a day is what the hunters contribute to that. That's wild. It, is there a place that you could get these statistics? I don't reckon I've ever seen them. Yeah, you can go on to uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and um, do a deep dive in, in their stuff and see. You actually have to, to look at the, the disbursements of Pittman-Robertson dollars back to the states and and just do your math and it, it's still coming in at two point around 2.5 million dollars a day wow that's uh yeah. i'd have never guessed it was that much but yeah. you know by the time you it seems like they keep feeing us to death you got a fee for public land permit and a hunting license and next thing you well, know they adding duck stamps and sure Yep. Which they, they got to pay but for it somehow. I get it. Here's the deal. If they don't pay for it that way, do you, there isn't any other anti-hunting group that can compare to that kind of income being, or that kind of finances being dumped into wildlife. Yeah. So if, if we don't put the bill for it, the only way we keep a seat at the table and the strongest voice in the community is by paying those types of fees. You know, and I know I'm, this isn't a retired game warden pro government guy talking to you. I'm, I'm uh, very skeptical of government and after working for government for almost 30 <laughs> years, I've got good reason to be, but, but one thing that you got to keep in mind, the Pittman Robertson act that was established in 1937, I think the 1930s is the only tax increase that the that the public came out and said please tax us we want to pay for this and hunters did that hunters said tax us tax our guns tax our ammo we need the wildlife we want to support this yep. and that's why we have to be so careful about 
about complaining about license because that that money is collected on guns and ammo and bow hunting equipment stuff like that it all gets shipped to u.s fish and wildlife service they take all the money in it's a federal tax you don't even know it when you buy your 870 the tax is already built into it they take the money to washington and then based on the number of licenses that your state sells the number of hunting licenses your state sells is how much money you how big of a percentage of that money you get back well so it's good that people are buying license that's why they pay game wardens to make sure you're buying your license you know yeah. it's, oh i'm blessed because, to live in a state that has a lot of public land i mean a lot of states don't have that much ours is horrible in indiana horrible we're like number 46 out of 50 states well we have a lot now i don't know that all of it's great for all kind of hunting but most of it's great for squirrel hunting that hadn't been beat to death now obviously a lot of ours is big open hardwood timber that's generally not ideal for deer hunting because there's nowhere for them the bed but you know it's it's still public land that people can fish and hunt and i'm just i'm blessed to live around a, a good bit of public so yeah for sure now in indiana are is it pretty game rich up there y'all have a lot of Big fox squirrels and coons and deer and all that. They just run down in the yard and surrender where I live. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm assuming y'all, I guess, have what red squirrels and fox squirrels. We got fox squirrels and we got gray squirrels here. Oh, y'all do have grays and, up uh, there. Yeah, yeah, we got we got quite a few grays, grays and grays and foxes. The fox squirrels will actually uh, move the fox squirrels or i'm sorry the gray squirrels actually move the fox squirrel out of his his habitat you know they are pretty fierce yeah we, we if you kill a fox squirrel where i'm from it's unheard of it's like it's a dead well, blame trophy your fox squirrels probably look like the big cat squirrels don't they well they do are you talking but, about the red fox squirrels well i'm talking about the so supposedly we got two different fox squirrels we got like a hill fox squirrel and a Maybe a Delta fox squirrel, but mm-hmm. uh, over here, are they gray, gray and black. The gray and mostly red. Like it's like a gray. Like the one I killed last year in a Delta was like a gray with a red underbelly. Yeah, yeah, that's the same thing as our fox squirrels. Yeah. Now you get down to the South Georgia, they call a fox squirrel sucker looks as big as a cat. No, I remember we treat we treated some of those down on a pecan grove down there. And uh, I was like, what in the world is that? Like, That's a fox squirrel shooting that thing. Uh, I thought I was shooting somebody's cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. No, we we got the actual, the fox squirrel and uh, a lot of, well, I ain't going to say a lot. We have some black squirrels in the Delta, which mm-hmm. the hunting over there has become terrible in the last couple of years. I think it's because of it being flooded for so long. It was underwater for like six or eight months because of the mississippi river but anyways it i went over there first time i ever went over there i wanted to kill a black squirrel and my dog treed one out the box first first cut and i said man i got it mounted but here we go them 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 black squirrels are ugly but they're so ugly that they're just something about them i like intriguing my wife like you're not putting that in our house and i'm like it looks like a mortuary <laughs> in here i mean we got deer heads and <laughs> and this is a, we got a basket of i call it bone a basket of horns and yeah anyway it we it looks we got squirrels now so she's not real enthused about them she ain't as enthused about squirrel hunting as i am so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of black squirrels up in uh, Michigan, up there where we used to hunt up in the Manistee National Forest up there. We used to make a trip up. Stacy, I was born to come up. We'd go up in there and hunt for a week. A lot of black squirrels I, up there. I was dumbfounded the first time I saw one because they're so much bigger than our grays. Uh huh. And I was so used to like I couldn't believe it was where it's at. It was actually in a smaller tree. And I'm like, man, why'd this thing not timber out? And I got to thinking, well, they're so much bigger. They can't really timber. 
like these these little gray squirrels they'll jump 20 it feels like 20 feet across to another tree over and grab yeah. onto a little bitty branch you like know little ninjas and, and that sap sucker was up there like a volkswagen sitting on top of a limb up there <laughs> i mean it was wild i guess I, I guess that's the reason that they're getting somewhat killed out down here because they can't quite get away like him that or the gray squirrels moving them no. i know the gray squirrels up here moved our fox squirrels out when i first moved this where i'm at right now we all we had was fox squirrels and now all i'm seeing is grays yeah i got you well is there how can people that obviously if they haven't how can they find you or your podcast your your website and all that yeah our website is uh houndsmanxp.com real easy houndsmanxp.com and then uh there's a spot on there where you can you can uh listen to the podcast it'll take you to a link you know, any Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Play Store, any of those places, you just search for the Houndsman XP podcast and people can find it. Yes, sir. Now, y'all do a lot of uh, promoting for the hunting dog. So if you're not listening to the Houndsman XP, you need to. And uh, I really appreciate what y'all do because y'all release, would you say, three episodes a week? Yeah. Yep. I mean, and do y'all have so, certain days? I I get I got all these I'm subscribed to, and if I see a new one, I just click on it. I don't never pay attention to what day it's on. So do y'all have like a regimen of it comes out on to say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Or you got it, man. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we drop one every day. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yep. Yep. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Mister Chris, and I, I I know you're I a busy man. You having me. Yes, sir. I know you're a busy man, and I appreciate you. And if there's anything I can do for you in the future, just give me a shout. That sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. And, well, everybody that's uh, listening, I appreciate y'all listening. I appreciate Mr. Chris coming on, and I'm going to let you go. I know you got other stuff to do, Mr. Chris. All right. Well, you have a good one.